Welcome to the Clash Podcast. In a first for Bath Rugby, we'll be celebrating all that's extraordinary about the annual event hosted at Twickenham, the home of England rugby. We'll be hosting some special guests from the club, both current stars and legends of the game, alongside invited guests from outside the rugby world. There'll be some rugby chat, some fun and games, and some deeper conversations on a range of topics. Enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to The Clash Podcast. I'm Simon Ward. On episode one, we're going to feature Bath Rugby Director of Rugby, Stuart Hooper, finding out about his time in rugby, playing at Twickenham, and getting his thoughts on the weekend's game against Leicester Tigers. We'll also be joined by Bath legend and folk hero, yes, I'm contractually bound to call him that, Mr David Flatman, as well as hearing from exciting new signing, Josh Matavesi. So, let's get down to it. First in the chair, D.O.R. Stuart Hooper. So, Stuart, European distractions are gone for this season. We're back to domestic matters that matter. Sixth in the Prem table, 1-4, lost four. It feels like the season's kind of on a cusp. How do you assess where you're at right now? Yeah, we're obviously, Premiership is single focus, sole focus, and I think we're, you know, it's obviously a vital stage of the season, important time, but an exciting time. The lads are very focused on the Premiership, starting with Leicester next up. And, um, yeah, just attacking this this back end of the season where, because of our, um, you know, not been in Europe, the season's now chunked into, we've got a one game against Leicester and we've got a three-game block. And, you know, we, we can attack it in, in, in blocks of time like that and, and really go after each and every game. And having taken down the top two at the wreck, as well as Sale, home advantage is going to be critical this weekend just to pick up some momentum going into this part of the season. Yeah, the boys love playing at the wreck. Um, the supporters are amazing. The the opportunity to get out in the middle of our city and play against, particularly the Tigers, uh, is huge. And you know you can you can see it in training already. The boys are the boys are excited and eager to get out there on Saturday afternoon. And a word about your new addition, the Cornish Fijian is in town. Good to have Josh Matavesi in the in the ranks. Yeah, it's great to have Josh. Um, when uh, you know when when I had the discussions with Jamie about him leaving to go and play for the Stormers. Um, Josh was somebody who was very much at the top of our list that we wanted to bring in. Um, interestingly, Josh was first around the Bath the training ground when we were at Lambridge uh, back in probably 2007, 2008, when he, he's, uh, his, his uh, uncle is the old academy manager, Frank. So mm. he used to be here in his school holidays, kicking a ball around the back of the pitches at, uh, at Lambridge. Hopefully we'll see him pull on the blue, black and white soon enough. For your first season as DOR, it couldn't be more complex or complicated when you look at the structure of it to start with the World Cup then to start late and now you've had to compress Europe and now we're looking into Six Nations mentioned for those guys I think you know Tom Dunn for Will Stewart great accolades for them to be in Eddie Jones squad I reckon you're going to be without seven players through Six Nations is that what you're calculating? Yeah probably six or seven as the tournament gets going. So Uh, you've got to get used to that man management as well through the next couple of months you haven't made life easy for yourself have you <laughs> yeah I think it's um that planning side of it is something which I've always known like as soon as towards the back end of the last year that that Todd was was going to be going and that I being offered the job then the planning really started then and understand about the complexities of the World Cup people being away people coming back when they're in when they're out and that's all part of it mm. um the big thing is just keep communicating with the players you know what their ex- what the expectations are on them and They've done brilliantly, and for the, the guys you mentioned there in Stewie and, and Dunny, um, to, to have a shot at the Six Nations is brilliant. I'm going to take you back to the early noughties. Now, you and I go back a fair way, it's fair to say. 
Buck Shelford, famous all-black number eight, then Saracens head coach, told me in the tunnel at Vicarage Road all those years ago that this 21-year-old lot was going to be, A, a very good skipper, but further down the line was going to be a very good coach. Has it been inevitable in your mind that when you came to the end of your playing career, you were going to end up changing tracks, so to speak? Uh, I don't think so. I think there's always been, I mean, any player will tell you during your career, there's so many ups and downs around the emotion of the game and loving it and wanting to be on the field and hating it and wanting to be so far away and everything in between, really. And, and I was probably no different playing 17 years and 350-odd first-class games for, for the various clubs and representative teams. Um, through my time in the game and probably latterly it, it grew and my my absolute uh, love of uh, not just the game but of bringing people together to achieve something uh, really grew and I think my time at Leeds with Stu there and, and how we you know we, we had the year in the championship and we built a team and, and grew a team and came back to the premiership um, yeah I got uh, a huge sense of achievement from yes winning games of rugby but also bringing together a group of young guys who go on and achieve something so um, yeah, I'd say that for, for a long time I've wanted to, to have an impact on the game off the field and, and an impact on a, on a group of guys and that's what I've got the opportunity to do now. Because there was a timeline to it, I mean, you think back to Ivory Bridge Community College, uh, a place that's provided so many professional players, you think Steph Armitage, you think most of the Exeter Chiefs current yep. squad went there, uh, Ben Spencer, there's a lot of players that have come through from that and are now quality professional players so was it always in your mind because you were coming through as a professional player at a real time of change yeah I think I mean that that story in particular is I was the pretty much the first player to go to Iverbridge to be a rugby player Um, so I was 16 and I was at a state school in Devon uh, in mid-Devon where I lived with my parents and um, I had offers to go to various private schools which was the kind of normal route to go to Blundells or Millfield or Colston's okay. or, or whatever. Um, and then I had a, a letter one day in the post from Malcolm Collins at Ivybridge to say, well, why don't you come to Ivybridge? And, and first of all, it was, it was kind of out of the blue because it was, a, it was a state school as well and it wasn't, wasn't really the done thing then to go to another state school to, to get better at rugby. And um, me and my dad went down there one day and looked around and we were like, God, you know, they've got something going on here. They had a really good setup, the new facilities for training. They had a weights coach, which at the time was massively ahead of the game. This is sort of 97, 98, something like that. Yeah, um, Yeah. so I, I ended up living in lodgings, actually, moving away from mum and dad, living in lodgings with various families. Growing um, up in many ways. Yeah. And, uh, I, yeah, I, it went from there and um, signed for Saracens straight out of there. And now when you look back, the Saracens moving into Leeds Tykes, I've got a feeling you were the youngest premiership captain yeah. when you wore the armband for, for Leeds. Yeah. And then into Bath, there has been, as you look back, a progression in responsibility, in stewardship, in management. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's still, um, like, you learn lessons along the way. I was I actually captained Saracens when I was 18 um, mm-hmm. in the European competition. I was there. Yeah, so that, that was kind of my first taste of it within the professional game. And then, yeah, I was the Leeds' youngest captain. I was 22, I captained them for five years. And then obviously came to Bath and, and each and every time that, you know, take on a captaincy armband, that's the, that's the title, if you like. But everything that allows you to do that is, you know, is what you do every day and the, the credibility you have with people, the conversations you have with people, the interactions you have with them. And um, 
to have the title of captain is, is fantastic, but it's got to be backed up by what you do. That word credibility is very interesting because that leads me into thinking when you cross tracks, when you go from player to management, how difficult, how much of a challenge was it to change from being hoops to skip to boss? Yeah, I think one thing's key in that is that, uh, you know, I'm still hoops, I'm still me, but it, there has to be a different angle on it. There has to be lines in the sand. There has to be, you know, I've, that as a player, you go, you go to the front line with these guys um, and you put your body on the line and you work incredibly hard um, and you gain respect from that. When you, when you stop playing, you don't do that anymore. So it's not okay to say, I know what you're going through because it's not the same. You have to take a step back. Even now, I mean, you've only been out the game playing-wise for yeah, what, nearly four three, years. Three, four years. Four years, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different. It's different, and, and and not not the sense that the game is completely different and um, it's changed to look at. It, it probably has. It's more physical than when I played, but I mean, it's the relationship is different. So if I stand toe to toe with you on the training field and we and we get to levels, you know, the 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 physicality, the emotion that's needed to take you to premiership level rugby, um, it's different when you're not doing that. I can ask you different things. I can expect different things of you. Um, so as a, as a DOR, like, I have to understand that my relationship with those guys is different. And if you try and pretend it's the same, then you, know, you cause yourself all sorts of problems. It's fool's gold, then. It's completely fool's gold. Like, I need to earn their respect in a different way. Um, and that's very clear. I've done that from the moment I finished playing. You know, the moment you... The moment you have that last night out with the lads as one of the lads and then coming to work the next day as, um, as part of the management, it, it is different and there's benefits to it, but you also have to draw the line and you have to be clear on where you sit and, and where they sit. Different parking space as well, presumably. Yeah, further away. <laughs> one of the big moments for you as a captain was Twickenham. And of course, April the 18th is going to be... A, coming into brighter and brighter focus over the next few weeks. Power Gen final, yeah. 2005. I announced you lifting the trophy <laughs> and I can still see the look on your face. It was like, retrospectively, it was like Bath Old Boys against Bath, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, difficult to talk about it with my Bath shirt on now. But Flatman's already said that, you know, you gouged him and you went for him <laughs> and all this, but then that's Flatman. I wouldn't listen to him. No, I, the memories of that day start as we drove to Twickenham. And all the press was around. It was Bath's 13th final at Twickenham and they'd never lost. Mm. So through all that time of dominance uh, of Bath, they'd never lost to Twickenham. And, and Leeds were... Oh, we'd, had a, we'd, have a, we'd had a tough season to that point in the league. I think we'd only won two league games. Um, bearing in mind, this is in April now. Yeah. Um, we'd only won two league games. And, um, yeah, we were the underdogs by a long way. And, and yeah, just the, it, was, it was one of those days which the memories will last forever. You know, the... Um, somebody like Phil Davies is obviously back at Leeds now, but um, yeah, he'd taken the club for ten years through four different leagues, and, and then to, to beat Bath at Twickenham was yeah very special times. And um, Bath support then was unbelievable. The stadium was completely blue, black, and white, and the few um, you know the the, the the Leeds fans that were there were um, still there an hour or two after the game and enjoying themselves. So yeah, very fond memories, very very fond memories indeed. And vivid memories, obviously. Are they memories that, looking ahead to the clash, that you feel you can, A, bring back up, but for the, some of the younger guys in your group, some of the non-internationals that may not have played at HQ before, you can utilise to just 
steady the ship is an obvious phrase, but you know what I mean, because it is going to be such a big event. It's going to be different for a lot of those guys. It is different, and that, that's, that's key. Like I, you know, the final we played in at Twickenham in 14-15 um, was, for me, one of the, you know, a huge moment in, in my career. Um, I got to run out, at, you know, in front of 80-plus thousand people with, with my eldest son, um, you know, and... and Ultimately, the game was a huge disappointment. We lost the final, but the experience we gained from that was invaluable as, as a group. Um, we, from that point, we didn't kick on like, like we wanted to, but each and every year we've gone back for the clash. It's grown, it's got bigger. The occasions become much more, and they're all, in my eyes, hugely beneficial moments for the lads to learn from. Like when you run out of Twickenham and just the magnitude of the stadium, driving into Twickenham, all the noise, the supporters... Um, the blue, black and white everywhere, it's, it's different and um, we want it to be different because it's about you know, taking this game, taking our fantastic club to a venue where so many more people can watch us. It's also preparation for finals, and that's something which I have <laughs> yeah. in the back of my mind. Like it. I like, I like the way you're thinking. All right, well, let's think uh, just lastly, a, a little more imminently, with the visit of the Tigers to the wreck at the weekend. Um, Tigers are, what, in 11th? I think they've had a, a difficult start for Geordie Murphy. What do you envisage coming at you at the weekend? And where are your group in the heads right now with Europe discarded? Are they ready to, to press on to kick off? Yeah, they're ready. They're, they're focused. Um, Leicester versus Bath is a, a game which probably did, needs no introduction from me. The supporters absolutely love it. They're behind it. They... Um, they make themselves heard, and um, this year in particular, the, the noise and the and the passion coming out from the crowd has made the difference for us in big games, in the Sale game, in the Exeter game, in the Northampton game, in these big games where we've even when we lost at home to to Sarries, like the intensity that the crowd generated makes a huge difference for our players. And already today, when we've been training, there's a focus in the lads' eyes. They know what it means when Leicester Tigers come to town, and um, they talked about the support. They've talked about the difference it makes to them, and. Um, yeah, we're the only thing we're, we're concerned about now that it's it's only Monday and we've got to make sure that we we peak at the right time, which is Saturday afternoon. Keeping the pot simmering for yep. another five days. Well, let's Absolutely. hope you do, and I hope it's good practice for the clash. Stu, thanks for your time. Cheers, Simon. Thank you very much. The Clash Podcast. Well, straight off the training paddock, we've got. Our brand new signing, the Cornish Fijian is in the house. Josh Matavesi, welcome to Bath Rugby. You've just done your first training session. How was it? It's good. I um, enjoyed it. Um, it's nice to put the, the kit on. Um, just getting used to the calls. You know, everyone, every, every club's got the same moves, but it's just you know different calling system. So just getting my head around you know different sort of things. But Freddie Burns, Priestlin, and um, Jackson Wilson have been really helpful with that. Have you played with any of these guys before? No. Actually, yes, sorry, that's a lie. Um, Sam Underhill, Ospreys. Oh, OK. Mike Williams at Worcester. Yeah. So it's nice to know a few people. Um, it definitely helps the, uh, the settling in process. Settling in, this is your sixth club from memory. Have you ever trained in an area like this, like Farley House? No, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of clubs, but this definitely sets it apart, you know, and my, room, my room's literally here as well where I'm staying at the minute, so can't be late. Now... The switch from northeast to southwest. When did you hear about it? When was it first mooted? So it was last Sunday. Um, I had a call from my agent about a possibility um, of a loan deal 
Um, Sabath um, made sure that I, I let Dean Richards know up, up front and face to face, um, which is uh, how I like to operate. And I think that, you know he really appreciates the honesty as well. Um, being such a straight shooter, really thought it was you know a good move for me and my family, um, especially with you know my, being from Cornwall. So. Yeah, because your folks are still in Cornwall, so yeah. that geographical change is quite important to you right it now. It is, and the kids as well are at an age where if I sign a two- or three-year deal somewhere else, they're going to be hitting secondary school. And uh, we, we felt as a family, let's relocate you know, closer to home because we can have a bit more of a support network with us. Yeah, so it's it just important. Out for everyone, it's the bigger picture, which it I is. think a lot of fans forget sometimes yeah. because you've got to move a family. Yeah. You know, you've played in so many different countries in England, in Wales, in France. You've got to be thinking about those sorts of yeah. factors. Although it's a little bit selfish of obviously my part, where my wife's had to move every you know two or three years, and it's never because of a bad thing. It's because we want to experience different things in different places um, and opportunities. So um, for us, you know, it's. My kid going into my young, my oldest going into secondary school in a, in a couple of years time, you know, not knowing anyone is is massive for us, and you know we couldn't I couldn't imagine me being eleven twelve years old going into a high school and not knowing anyone and feeling that you know feeling an outcast. So for us, it's important to get them back into Cornwall, back into that lifestyle, you know, the Cornish lifestyle, the way of life, and get them set up with the friends and get them set up being around grandparents. You know, they've never been around grandparents. They've never had the luxury because we've always been away. So they've only seen them two or three times a year. So for us, it's important to get them back into the family. Yeah, whole life family experience. Talking of experience, look at this season. It's experiencing all these different factors. You start off in the World Cup in Japan. You then come back to play championship with the Falcons. Now you're going to be in the premiership with Bath. It's a whole gamut inside one season, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. I mean, the highs and lows of the World Cup, um, you know, were it was a fantastic experience. You know, to experience with my brother as well was, was amazing. The lows of you know the game against Uruguay just didn't go our way. Uh, didn't have a kicking boots on me. I think someone stole them. But um, one of the props, no yeah, doubt, must have been because uh, normally hit them from fifty, but uh, <laughs> they just wasn't working. But uh, to then come back, and I thought it was important that I wanted to come back and just keep the groove. I wanted to keep playing. I asked Dean if I could play as soon as I got back. I kind of didn't need that, you know, that getting back into it's kind of uh, time off. I just said to him, kind of to come back and train Monday. I turned up on Thursday and was back in training Monday, like no question. So um, I enjoyed that. Um, the champ is tough. Mm. Different not, tough than the is, Premiership. It but. is brutal. You are everyone's, you're ahead, everyone's hunting for your head. Everyone's cup final. You've got Amped Hill, Leeds, Nottingham, uh, Ealing, just want to kill you. You know, mm. you're their cup final. Mm. You know, so. Every game for that, every game that we've played against, you know, everyone's bragging their A game, and not, it's not been easy, you know. And it's the boys are really fronted up well, you know. They've had to be patient in getting wins, and uh, the Falcons are doing it right. They're starting to blood some new people. You've seen Josh Hodge in the England squad this week, so starting to get that recognition now and, and blooding the young ones because they've got a fantastic youth set up there. So now you've got to get used to playing at the Wreck. What are the memories of playing as a visitor at the Wreck? It's funny because my uncle actually. Started the academy here. Really? Frank, Frank Butler, yeah. So I have had I have memories of being 12, 13, 14, 15, every holiday being up here. So I used to run the water when like Zach Fianati, Danny Grucock were playing. Yeah. 
Um, Eliotta Fuiman is Sapolu used to go around their house. Um, Stuart Hooper, when he'd come from Leeds, Shantane Harpe, as I said. Um, so I've so there's a huge connection then. I yeah, I mean, I that. spent four or five years of my summer holidays, Easter holidays up here, and that was when they trained at uh, Lambridge, um, trained at the uni. Um, so I've always kind of had a connection with Bath. Um, my uncle still lives here in Corsham, so it's nice to get, you know, a bit of home cooking. Are you looking forward to stepping out of the wreck with Bath colours on your back? I am, yeah. If I get the chance, um, I can't wait. It'd be, it'd be a fantastic opportunity. It's just... I need to prove myself, you know, as the, like the new kid at school, I need to prove myself and um, just get used to the environment, get used to setting the standards and, and uh, driving them. Well, I'm sure all Bath fans are looking forward to seeing you wearing the, uh, the blue, white and black. Good luck and we look forward to seeing what you can do for the rest of the season. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The clash is getting ever closer. With so much to look forward to, it's more than just a game of rugby. There will be wall-to-wall entertainment for supporters of all ages to enjoy. On the 18th of April, Bath will be taking on old rivals Wasps as both teams make their push for the playoffs. With tickets starting from £20 for adults and £5 for kids and Rugby World Cup stars on both sides, it promises to be a day of high-octane action both on and off the field. Tune into the podcast or visit bathrugby.com forward slash the clash forward slash Don't forget the second forward slash for more information on how to buy tickets and what to look forward to in the coming weeks. The Clash Podcast. Well, we promised you Bath alumni and we've got one of the biggest that's come to Farley House. Literally in terms of body weight. The loose head legend. I think you've actually become more of a legend post playing than you were on the pitch. Definitely. But Mr. D.L. Flatman, Flats, great to see you back here. Hi, Woody. We're beginning the trail to Twickenham, the march towards the clash on April the 18th. If I said to you Twickenham, what first three words come to mind? Really difficult parking. Uh, it's a nightmare. I always park at the Tesco's and pretend I'm going in and just stay, leave it there all day. Uh, I've, Twickenham <clears throat> is, was an interesting one because, you know, as, as a three words. Oh, God, you wanted three words. You know I can't do three words. We got Woody. there in the end. Go on. Uh, three words... Um, dreamy, nerve-wracking. Is that warm? Is nerve-wracking? Is that high I'll, I'll give you that as a second warm. word, yeah. Um, and can I have a double-barrel... Can I have two words for my third word? Retrospectively wonderful. <laughs> well, uh, all right, retrospectively wonderful. What was it then that you see now that you didn't see as an 18, 19, 20-year-old going there? I think I was... Um, you know, you, the kids now are so in control of... They're so prepared and whatever, but I was I was a kid who was a, you know, sort of a, I don't know, a promising talent, but I was a strong prop as an 18-year-old. And five minutes after I was a strong prop at school level, I was playing for England at Twickenham. I was on tour playing against the Springboks and playing against, you know, the RGs and the Aussies and whatever, and the box at Twickenham, France at Twickenham. And it was very, very quick. And it didn't happen a huge amount after that for country. Went back there with Bath a few times, which I loved. And I was really glad I got to go back there with Bath because I didn't... It's not I didn't appreciate it. I absolutely loved playing there as, as a youngster for, for England. But I don't think I quite appreciated it. I just thought, this is wicked. I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> complacent about it or anything. I just thought, this is so cool. But then I, when I went back, because I got a few injuries and I thought I wasn't going to play again, and we ended up going back and playing a couple of times at Twickenham with Bath... I remember thinking this means so much to mum and dad and yeah. 
you know, to my sisters and all sorts of stuff. My brother and my granddad watched me playing there when I was 17, playing for England schoolboys against France schools. We battered them, I think, by about three points. So that, and, um, that was a team that, from memory serves me, had a few different Bath boys. Borthers was in that. Borthers was in Tindall that. Tyndall was in it. Beast was in it. Bandy Beatty, uh, Bolshaw. A certain Johnny Wilkinson. Yeah, Wilco was in it. Andy Sheridan. That wasn't uh, a bad side then. I mean, oh God, we, I mean, Grindle played a ton of Prem games. James Lofthouse played 10, so Johnny was at 12. Tyndall, Bolshaw, Lee Best, he played for Bath. And I, I tell you... I, an astonishingly good player, Lee Best, that people don't remember. One of the great men. His best season for Bath, he played whatever it was, 13 games, did his ACL, but he was such a show pony and such a um, master of histrionics that when he did his ACL, we're like, for Christ's sake, Bestie, get up, mate. We've got a game to play here. No sympathy. Uh, ended up having a full knee reconstruction. <laughs> but he finished that season. He only played half of it and he still had more defenders beat than anyone else when he finished the season. Amazing players. We had a we had a ton of Lee Mears, um, of course, played in that team, and John Dawson. Yeah, we had a we had a hell of a team. But you can't you can't appreciate something at 18, 16, 21, 20, the, the way you appreciate it when you're thirty years old, yeah. when it's nearly all gone. You can't appreciate it. So going Is back, it there rose coloured spectacles. Yeah, I, it wasn't so much that. I, I think it was it was the whole day. I mean, I remember. You know, just going back up there with Bath and we played against Wasps up there and sort of one of the St George's Day big games. And I remember thinking this is, and Geach was, you know, Geach was the boss, for goodness sake. You know, it was unbelievable. Someone we're sort of getting told what to do by, it was just amazing. And, and the big stage, tons of Bath fans. And of course, not of course, you wouldn't know, but growing up, I loved rugby, but I had two teams that I loved more than any others. And I'm from Kent, you know, I've got nothing to do with Bath. I didn't come to Bath before I was 18 years old, never been. And I supported Bath as a kid and I supported Toulouse as a kid. From an early age, they were my two teams. And to my memories of watching Bath are, I'd love to say Chilcott. I don't remember seeing him do much, to be honest, although he was the best ever. Um, my memories were Jerry Guskett, Andy Robinson, John Hall and primarily Stuart Barnes kicking a winning drop goal at Twickenham and not I thought David Barnes not, no, not, who's David Barnes never yeah. heard of him no. weirdo but, I, but he's nothing to me now uh, but <laughs> you know but Stuart Barnes kicked that goal and the whole place seemed to be blue black and white and I just thought oh my god I've got to do it I've got to do that thing that Barnsley did and that Robbo did and you know even if you only do it a couple of times most people never get to do it so I, feel, I loved those days absolutely loved them that must be one of the the big benefits of of a rugby career that you can now look back and say yeah I've played at the Rec I've played at Stade Ernest Vallon I've played at Stade Municipal I've played at Twickenham the variety of of stadia of yeah. grounds Bloemfontein and Buenos Aires well, exactly and there's so, nuts, yeah. so much that you can look back on now and go yeah did that tick in the box yeah amazing it just it, it's fantastic and I it's not um, it's a funny thing because you know compared to sort of Bob down the road who plays rugby on a Sunday for his local team, I am well aware that what I have done is sort of live the dream and I've played professionally for a long time and played for England and been on England tours and played with the greats and all that. But in my in my peer group, the light in the life I lead in the world I live, I am a very middle of the road achiever. So middle to low. You know, so when I'm commentating, you know, recently I was with Scott Spedding 
30 caps, you know, French title, you, or, I'm, or I'm doing stuff with Ben Kay or Austin or Ugo didn't get a ton of England caps, but he played for the Lions. He won the premiership, you know, so I am a middle to low achieving ex-player is the reality. So it's very, very easy to stay grounded because pretty much everyone I work with on a daily basis is, was much better than I was. But Does that I, come into your mind, into your psyche then when you're talking used to. on TV now? Used to, it yeah. No, not really. Because I've, because I've got to a point where everybody cares. My point was I can just look back and think it's really cool that I've done all that stuff. It's, I don't look back with pride, I'll be completely honest. There is no feeling of pride whatsoever with terms of the rugby player I was or wasn't. Um, I don't lose sleep over any of it. I don't pat myself on the back for any of it. I just look back and think, God, it's cool to have played there. Playing for Bath was, as you know, anyone who's ever asked me is well aware, is, you know, is the favourite, my favourite part of my career. But um, I prefer playing for Bath, playing for England, to be honest. I absolutely loved it. But for a while, I, I was very acutely aware that the people by whom I was surrounded at work had, you know, I'm sitting offering an opinion on a test match next to Lawrence Donalio. I mean, why should I get to offer an opinion? Um, the truth is, I always knew a lot more about how to play well than I was able to actually deliver. So I was, I literally, easier said than done, I, I knew what to do. I wasn't quite good enough to do the things I wanted to do, even though I had a long career and a nice career and all that. Um, so I just wasn't gifted enough. I was kind of had a lot of strengths and a few weaknesses and in the end the injuries got me a little bit. But now, now I feel like I've got to a point where everybody cares what other people think about them and about what they say but I care way, way less than I used to. <laughs> so does it become, as a consequence, more satisfying in the knowledge now that you do, you can pass judgment that people are interested in, you can entertain, and you are very quickly becoming a prime pundit because you get the reaction You're on social media, you get that sort of feedback. Does that give you more satisfaction than when you were playing? Um, to be completely honest, everyone likes people saying nice things about them and nobody likes people saying nasty things, critical things about them. But to varying degrees, I think I get, I'll be completely honest, I don't, if I believe what I'm saying, uh, sometimes I make mistakes and I don't mind that, but if I believe in an opinion I have, I just don't mind if 99% of people that hear it think I'm a Muppet. I just don't mind. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me at all. Equally, if I say something and 500 people on Twitter call me a legend, it's really nice of them. I like it. I don't sleep any better. I don't... I just don't, I don't worry too much about that. Um, when I was a player, I mean, honestly, the last sort of year of my career, my shoulders were shot and I couldn't buy them properly in the scrum and I was getting pinged off the park. I remember I'm in Farley House now, of course. I remember being upstairs in a room directly above us in an analysis room. Actually, it was just there on the balcony and saying to Martin Hogg, you need to pick Catty. You've got to pick Catty. And Catty's sitting next to me. So is Barnes. You've got to pick Catty. And he said, we're not picking Catty. We're picking you. We need experience. I said, mate, I'm getting pinged. I can't get my arm up there anymore. And I've got, I had two and a half years left, two, three years left on my deal. You know, I'm getting full money. And I'm thinking, God, I just, this is just excruciating. And everyone knew, I knew. Um, I was still doing a decent job in other areas on the field, but I knew, and it's, yeah, it's... Does that still but, hurt? But then, it but sounds then, like it still hurts. Oh, no, it doesn't hurt now, but what, what I was going to say was that people you know making comments to me, journalists I can understand, TV I can understand, but Twitter, 
Twitter sent me spiralling in those days. I remember there's one guy, I won't say his name, nice bloke actually. I tell you now, I remember what he said. I remember the game he said it after. All he said was, David, comma, please bind, full stop, thank you. And if I could have found that guy, and I'm not joking, this isn't hyperbole for the sake of a broadcast, I'd be in, I'd be in jail now. I was wild. I mean, wild doesn't cover it. I didn't sleep. I went to the club to try and find out his name and stuff from the database. And then it started, then more people said it and more people said it. And I hated it. And that was my first introduction to, you know, Bob down the road being able to effectively text me, you're crap. And I hated it because I was flat out doing my best, you know, and now I couldn't give a monkeys and I'm grateful. You know, at the start, I found it difficult. Um, I've met him since. He's a nice bloke. Um, and uh, and um, we're not that nice. But yeah, and that now it's I'd rather people said nice things. But well, what, what I don't do, which some other people do, you know, Andy Goode's a mate of mine, for example. We room together and we're, you know, England schoolboys, you know, and you form a bond with people. And I know that it's one of those things you play rugby with people. I know that if I needed something, Goody and I are not super close mates. We text once a year, you know, we're not. But I know if I said, Goody, I need you to do something for me. I need you to do this for my charity. I need you to do this. I know that he'd be there. So there's a lot to be said for that, the relying on yeah. someone and then delivering yeah, over the course of 20 year friendship. So, but he, we have different approaches to social media, for example. I don't feel the need to broadcast my opinion on everything that ever happens. He does. I don't. I just don't need to. I don't feel the need to call people out. I don't think social media is a place to discuss anything that isn't just light and fun. Because it's not representative of you know, the electorate, so to speak. So I, I don't know. But now I feel far more thick-skinned and far more confident in what I say. Because Knox, I think, are no more. We all know more than we did 10 years ago. But because I care less about people disagreeing, I just don't mind. I've never found people disagreeing with me to be confrontational. But I don't mind people occasionally sending me a message saying, you're the worst commentator in the world. Who are you? You've got no caps. Uh, you're a crap player. You're a worst commentator. Yeah, that's fine. don't mind. I don't mind. They're on their sofa, yeah. logging in with their kids sitting next to them, sending abuse to someone they've never met. I see. Oh, you poor geezer. What a little life. <laughs> I'm going to take you back to the Twickenham aspect. And when I look at your international record, I see three matches played there. And you won them all. Of course we did, mate. Unbeaten at Twickers for England. When you... <laughs> Christ. It's on the CV. <laughs> In terms of Bath, a, a couple of appearances there. You, you've mentioned the Wasps game. And there was the Leeds game. Oh, Leeds. Leeds, Leeds scum. Cup final. We know their scummy captain 2005. was. 2005. Well, this is what I was going to say. Scum. It was Friends Reunited. Because John Callard was the coach. A certain Stuart Hooper was there playing he in is. the second row. Cheap. Tom Biggs was on the wing. Cheap. And it was captained by your mate Ian Bullshaw. What do you remember Cheap. of that? Um, I cheated their way to victory, Wardy. That's what I remember. Um, such a shame, but that's Stuart Hooper for you. Um, <laughs> I think he, he gouged me in that game. Uh, he stamped on my throat at one point. He said some stuff about my mum. Um, Tom Biggs made some really inappropriate comments, um, sort of sexist comments in that game. No, they're just lovely blokes that beat us. It's... Um, I read a lot of that's going to get edited out, isn't it? Yeah, go have, have a look. <laughs> we'll see. Money will have to pass out. Well, what I remember about that day is that, yeah, we lost, but I, but I was, I was struggling to come back from an Achilles tendon injury that was, um, it was it went about twenty months. I was in total out for that injury, eighteen twenty months, I think. So a long time in a pro career, and um, 
I was just getting somewhere, you know, and it was a it was a tough time because I was, you know, came back in 02 from Argentina, you know, hoping to ch at least challenge for a World Cup place in 03, playing well. Second game in, playing for Saracens against Bath, felt something hurt going my shoulder. Not too bad, finished the game, I think, and didn't play for six months. And not that I would have gone to the World Cup, but at least I'd have had a chance to, you know, chin someone in training camp and have a go, you know, so at least I'd have had a chance. But I didn't get, that's fine, that's the way it goes. It kept, it kept going. I came to, then I came to Bath after that, and my first season at Bath was the, my favourite season of my rugby playing life. Um, just a completely wonderful time. Uh, we finished top of the league and lost in the final 10-6 to Wasp, but that was one of the only league games I didn't start because of my Achilles. So if I'd started that, we'd have won. Because Dave Barnes started, we lost. So Dave Barnes really cost, it, cost the club the, the league that year. It's a great shame. He knows it. He knows that. Um, was Ding Dong on the other side? Yeah, Belly was there, but, you know, there's only so much he can do when he's operating with someone like Barnsley. You know, it's it's like in the World Cup final, Dan Cole got all the blame, but really he probably needed Joe there, Marla, rather than Mako. You know, and, and that day, but, but what Barnsley did was let the city down and himself and his family <laughs> and all of his teammates. Um, it was a great shame, and he's never forgotten it, which is why you don't hear from him much. His shame lives on. Um but I, I was struggling to come back and I was in a lot of pain and I couldn't run. I didn't train for months really before that game. And that game for me was one last hurrah, play with the team. There's every chance I'm never going to play rugby for anybody ever again. So two things I remember from that day are somehow the doc getting me on the field and just telling me, mate, you can't make it any worse, so go for it. And he just he somehow got me on the field. Julian Widowson, he's at um, Gloucester now, one of the great men. I love, love him dearly. And um, Stuart Hooper actually being monumental, skippering leads. He was fantastic. I remember they, they cleared, they turned us over after phase after phase. After, they turned us over near their line, cleared their lines, booted it miles over our heads into touch. And I remember Hoop sprinting to the line out and turning around with his big orangutan arms and shovel hands and waving them both to his team over his head. Come on, get up here now. Beat them to the line out. And that's when I knew they're on one. We're not. He, he was fantastic that day. One last question. The Bath squad will be going there on April the 18th. There will be a lot of guys in that squad that may not have stepped out on HQ's turf before. How much of a factor do you think it might be in the psyche as to the outcome of that game on April 18th? I, I, to be honest, I don't think that much, actually. Um, I think that... The guys now are so used to such a high level of exposure and scrutiny that I don't think running out in front of a few thousand extra eyeballs will make that much difference. Um, but I do think that um, what it, a couple of things that are different are things like on-field communication because noise disappears there. Um, and if the game's going well and if it's a nice day, it can be very noisy. It can be harder to communicate. So small talk becomes slightly more difficult to execute. But, geez, look at the caps Bath have got in that team. You know, I, it's a wonderful occasion. I think that it will probably put no more pressure on them than any normal game. Um, and I think it might put slightly more pressure on comms and, and sort of cohesiveness and fluidity of performance. But I think that's the same for everybody. And I, to be honest, don't think there's a single player in the Bath team that will be negatively affected by that. I think, if anything, it probably puts a little bit more juice in your legs, to be honest. 
Unfortunately, the same goes for the oppo. So, yeah, that's the way it goes. But it kind of probably ups the ante a little bit. Well, no doubt you'll be there on comms on the day. for. I am there, actually, yeah. Rugby or Channel 5 or I'll something? Be, I'll be slagging Bath off. Yeah, you've got to. No, I'll be there. I'll be there trying to be impartial. I am impartial. Yeah, the impartiality thing, is, as you'll know, Wardy, is an interesting thing because yeah. in your job as sort of a lead commentator, you're naturally impartial. But when you've played for so long for a club, so people forget I played for Saracens you know, 100 odd times for five years when I met you. Um, so when I commentate on Saracens, I say what I like. And of course, Saracens is a completely different beast from when we were there. Um, and we paid everyone legally, but were crap. Uh, but <laughs> there's, but you know, when you play a long time for a club and you are very open about how much you love that club and you know, like all players, I got, believe it or not, offers to go to other clubs that were winning more trophies and get paid a bit more money. And I was just, I never wanted to. I just never wanted to go anywhere. I loved it. And um, it's as soon as you're complimentary about Bath, for the first couple of years anyway, as soon as you're complimentary about Bath. So if Bath are brilliant, I take great pleasure in saying so. Um, and you, then you get hammered on social media. It's great. You're bias as usual. Okay. And then if Bath are rubbish... I take no pleasure in it, but I will say so. This is the way it goes. This is the job, right? If you can't do it, don't do it. So I do that. And then I get hammered for overcompensating and say, you go too hard against Bath. So that, but the one person I'm unapologetically biased about is Nathan Katz. I've always said whenever he's played, I've disclosed at the beginning of the match on air, I'm afraid this guy's not going to make any mistakes today because he's my favourite. <laughs> and uh, he's man of the match. And we're three oh, minutes in. Already, yeah, yeah, technically he's on the bench. He's injured this week, but he's man of the match again, you know. <laughs> So he would have uh, been. Yeah, so I, we have, I have great fun. I sort of love, um, I hardly ever go to the wreck and hardly ever, just because I think that's the way the game, way it works out. And, you know, a, an exec producer in London or in Manchester or in Leeds or wherever it is, they pick what games are going to. They don't care that I used to play at Bath and it's two minutes from my house. They'd rather I killed the environment and drove to Northampton in my big V8. Well, it's great to see you here at Farley House and I'm sure Bath fans look forward to you being there on April the 18th, bigging up the boys. Yeah, something like that. Well, no, Wardy, I big them up if they play well. That's the rules, you know. You arrive at all these games and people say, say nice things about us today. I said, just, yeah, if you play well, I will. Power of play well, just don't watch it on replay. Be fine. <laughs> Cheers, Wardy. The Clash podcast will be available from all good podcast platforms. We'd love you to like it, subscribe, and share the pod with your friends. We'd like to thank our producers, Simon Ward and Dan Brown, for their support in the launch and recording of this podcast, as well as the team here at the club. See you next time.